chapter one, peace, hope, and doubt. This chapter is based on Luke chapter one, verses one through 25. I have a good friend, Liz, who grew up going to a Catholic church. She tells me not to talk to her about religion. She says she generally hates Christians, but I'm okay with her in her words because I'm not weird about my religion. Usually this is followed by a laugh and a comment like, (laughs) I mean, you're so weird, but not about religious stuff. Most of her hatred towards religion comes from how her family was treated when her mother committed suicide. And truthfully, I'm right there with her hating that about religion. See, when her mother committed suicide, Liz, her father, and brother were disowned by the rest of her family. She remembers leaders from the church coming to her house to discuss whether or not they could have her mother's funeral at the church. Liz wasn't in the room. She just remembers it only took a few minutes for her father to start swearing at them and throw them out. In her words, he pretty much said F them after that, and we never went back. Afterwards, Liz's dad began drinking a lot more, and Liz was left with most of the responsibility of raising herself and her brother. Considering all she went through, and there's a whole lot more to her story, it is amazing Liz is the strong, confident woman I now know. When I talked to Liz about what Jesus is actually like, she said, That sounds good, but I don't think it's possible to really know the truth about Jesus. Honestly, I wish it were true. I gave up on church, but I never did quit praying. Liz thinks Jesus sounds awesome, but she hates religion, especially the condemning judgments from uptight people. She'd like to believe God really actually loves us, but a lot of what she has seen from his followers is hate. Like Liz, many of us like the idea of Jesus, but we have doubts because of things we have seen in religion and the world. The crazy awesome hope for us is you, me, and Liz aren't alone in wrestling with this kind of doubt. Turns out the entire New Testament book of Luke was written for this very purpose. In his introduction, which is found in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, Luke explains that he has put together a well-researched account of the life of Jesus so his friend and patron Theophilus could know the certainty of the things he had been taught. In other words, Luke wrote for an audience who had heard the stories of Jesus, but still had doubts. And just to be clear, the Gospel of Luke wasn't meant to be an Americanized theological defense with scientific proofs for believing Jesus did miracles. Luke wrote a well-researched account of what witnesses said. His proof is, Look how different and incredible what Jesus taught really was. Luke simply said, here's what happened, guys. No push. No, if you died tonight, what would happen to your eternal soul, emotional plea? Just here's what happened. Because what happened stands on its own as worth following. And here's the freaking awesome thing. There are tons of books out there about logical proof for believing in Jesus. This isn't one of them. This is a book about looking fully at the condition of the world alongside the book of Luke and finding peace in our messy world and hope with enough grit to stay with us in the tough times. This book is about knowing that what Jesus taught is worth following. 
The next crazy awesome thing is Luke's audience. Theophilus would have helped Luke distribute his book throughout Rome. Luke was likely a non-Jew or a Gentile, though he may have been a Hellenistic Jew, meaning he was a Jew who was also immersed in Greco-Roman culture. Either way, Luke was not one of the Jewish religious elite. So take a minute to reflect on how crazy it is that he wrote a defense of the teachings of a Jewish rabbi for a non-Jew who helped him share it with a whole lot of their very un-Jewish Roman peers. To begin to wrap your mind around just how crazy this is, think back on studying ancient Rome in middle school. Remember those stories about ancient Greek and Roman gods who were petty and caused half of the problems with humanity because of their soap opera-worthy drama? That's the culture Luke grew up in. Those are the people he was writing to. Only the culture was way more scandalous than your middle school teachers told you. The Roman army was incredibly brutal, and their religion was not PG-13. For example, some temples included orgies as part of their worship. Even worse, Roman citizens were allowed to discard servants and children who they no longer found useful. The ancient world was all about power and had no place for valuing people without it. So if you are like Liz and have felt the brunt of a religious system, which was also all about its own power and didn't value you in your weakness, it should excite you to know that Luke's audience saw the same kinds of things. It should excite all of us to realize how incredibly radical what Luke was telling them was. As you read Luke, think about how completely different the message of Jesus was from the Roman religion and culture. Of course, Luke's audience wrestled with doubt. Why was the message of Jesus worth working through all of that doubt? What did Jesus teach that offered Luke's audience so much peace and hope? As you read this book, think about how every story presents a radical contrast to the culture Luke was writing to. Imagine an ancient Roman walking past a temple where discarded servants were dying on the steps while remembering the stories of God in the flesh empowering those same kinds of people. Finally, think about the religious separation between Luke's ancient Roman audience and some of the Jews. Luke and his audience were super familiar with religious judgment and legalism, only more extreme than anything we've ever known. In ancient Rome, strict religious leaders around Jerusalem separated themselves so much from Gentiles that they would not even enter their homes. Contact with a Gentile sent strict Jews running for some water to do some serious ritual cleansing. Priests and religious leaders would cross to the other side of the street to keep from even the slightest contact with a Gentile, which was seriously messed up. Of course, in an ancient society full of farmers and manual laborers, strict observance of these rules was not possible for many Jews. For example, the Galilean Jews, who were mostly fishermen and traders, were considered more liberal and therefore unclean, mostly because of their occupations and the region they lived in. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid contact with Gentiles when you're selling them the fish you caught. For them and many other Jews, the life they were born into made it impossible to strictly observe all of the rules. 
this messed up religious separation is one of the things that makes the story about Jesus so freaking amazing and gives it validity. Jesus started a movement to value all people in the most unlikely of places, a religious society that refused to accept anyone not born with the ability to keep all of their rules. Jesus confronted the whole idea of religion being about rules for judging who is in and who is out. Nothing says that more powerfully than the book of Luke. Luke was saying, hey guys, you know how the Jews can't even eat with us or come into our houses because they think we're so far from God that they can't associate with us without hurting their own relationship with God? Crazy thing. The Messiah, their scriptures prophesied about for hundreds of years, came and fulfilled those prophecies only for all of us, not just them. We all get to be in, y'all. I just got to say, wow, I love this so much. What a kick in the pants to religious elitism. So as we look at Luke's defense alongside stories of survivors I've met through the years, think about your doubts. Ask yourself, how did this story help people overcome their doubts? How is what Jesus taught different from the religious cultures of ancient Rome, ancient Israel, and much of modern America? In Roman Cola for the Soul, I share stories of modern survivors of abuse and trauma along with Luke's stories of Jesus. As we look at what Jesus taught and the way he empowered the marginalized people of his time, you will see a beautiful picture of peace and hope for this world. Peace which can look fully at the pain in this world and see the beauty of the people caught in its grasp. Hope which knows what you see isn't all there is. There is purpose, meaning, and power to make things better for every person wrestling with the pain of this world. Nothing in this book is going to turn off all of your doubts and questions, because that would be a cult. What I hope this book will do is show you how the message of Jesus is a truth worth pursuing. I hope you will see the freedom from legalistic religion his message offers. Following Jesus isn't a simple truth to agree or disagree with. It's a whole new way of seeing the world, a way which puts us on a better path to finding peace and hope. The longer you walk on this path, the more you will see that ultimately there are good answers for all of your questions. Ultimately, you'll probably have more questions the more you follow Jesus. And that's okay. Relationships are built on growing in our understanding. As a matter of fact, this whole book is about my story of growing in my understanding of who Jesus really was and what he taught. The stories I share are reflections of me sorting through my bitter baggage as I reflect on all I've seen in 20 years of working with survivors like Liz while wrestling with American church culture. So if you are like me, Liz, and Theophilus, and you are also wondering how the message of Jesus applies to your world, you're going to love going through the book of Luke. Section one, the voice of hope in our struggles. This section is based on Luke chapter one, verses five through 25. The first thing you're going to love about the book of Luke is what it says about our struggles. In my 20 years of getting to work with some really amazing survivors, I have learned to recognize a common voice that is always there. In the middle of trauma, abuse, pain, suffering, injustice, 
heartache, whatever the problem people are wrestling with, there is always a voice present telling them they matter. Once you recognize God's voice and his message of extreme gritty hope for all of us, you will hear that same message and see its beautiful influence for all people who are struggling. The kid in foster care who had been in over a dozen foster homes said, if there is a God, he couldn't possibly love me. Nobody loves the stuff I do. But at the same time, somehow he still knew there was hope for him. He still fought to prove to the world that their judgment of him was wrong. The homeless man who looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Jesus don't want nothing to do with the likes of me. Though he had given in to the world's judgment of him, there was still an echo of hope for him. I saw it when a car drove by. A passenger threw a can at him and said, get a job, you bum. He defiantly challenged their judgment as he yelled, fuck you, asshole, while flipping them off. The voice of hope was there with the addict as she visited rehab for the fifth time, hoping this time she could stay the course. The pregnant teen who ran from abusive parents only to find herself selling her body for an even more abusive boyfriend. She heard the voice of hope as she tore off a phone number from a flyer in a bathroom stall, thinking just maybe she might escape one day. The little girl whose abusive father constantly told her she was not good enough. She heard the voice of hope as she delighted in hiding her father's things when he wasn't around. She couldn't avoid his angry tirades, but in her own childish way, she fought back against his condemnation of her. There is a battle going on. People in this world have treated these survivors like they are worthless. Life has been harder for them than for most people. Often they are made to feel as if their struggles are somehow their fault, as if they somehow cosmically deserve to be treated as less worthy than others. However, at the same time, there is another message, something which seems to come from deep within telling them, You are incredibly valuable. Your present struggles do not define your value and worth. Every time I see hints of that voice of hope winning out, I want to stand up and cheer. Yes, 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 my friend. You are more valuable than you know. Your struggles shape you, but they should not define you. They are not who you are. You are more than that. You are treasured by God and he longs to fight your battles with you. I believe that little bit of sass, that defiance, that hope which spurs us on in our darkest moments, they come from the Spirit of God reaching out with His voice of hope to His beloved children, telling us our circumstances do not define the way He sees us. Sadly, it feels like God's steady, defiant voice is often drowned out by the world shouting a different message to us. You mess up all the time. You cause this. You deserve to have these problems. We don't love you. How can you possibly believe God loves you? You're crazy. God loves perfect people. If you're like me, my shame, doubts, and fears echo and even magnify the world's judgmental message to me. When I listen to their message, I think not only are they right in their judgments, I'm worse than they know. All too often, people who claim to know God simply add to the noise. They keep people from hearing God's message when they make religion all about trying to be good to impress or manipulate God. We all fall for this when we think the good in our lives somehow makes us better than other people. 
If you aren't struggling with any big issues in your life, it might be comfortable for you to believe you deserve the life you have, I suppose. However, basing your value on your achievements or life of ease is missing the message of God for his hurting children. Everything Jesus did shouted God's message of love for all of humanity. It was never limited to those whose lives were easy. The very first story in the book of Luke gives us our first peek at God's message of hope for people while they were struggling. In this story, Elizabeth and Zechariah faithfully served God, and Luke points out God was pleased with them. Despite God's approval of them, they still dealt with an extremely hard struggle for most of their lives. From an ancient perspective, this story was actually shocking. People in ancient times weren't all that different from us today, except they perhaps had more to fear than us. They didn't live in the modern age of science, so their religions were openly based on gods who they controlled through rituals, sacrifices, dances, prayers, and morals, which pleased whichever god they were trying to win favor from. Today, I think we use more intellectual language to try to cover up the same basic ways of seeking control. Still, at the heart of it, most modern religion isn't really that different than the ancient ones. We all want a way to avoid suffering. Ancient Jews were supposed to be different. They believed in only one God, and they were to be his chosen people who would lead the world into a relationship with him. But deep down, their religious leaders still wanted a system they could control. Through hundreds of years, the Jewish religious leaders developed elaborate system of rules about rules about the rules, so you would know at exactly what point you were in or out with God. By the time Jesus came onto the scene, there were so many rules in Judaism that it was virtually impossible for the working class person to follow them all. The religious leaders considered people in poverty, people with diseases, people with handicaps, and people who weren't following the law to be out. Many of the ancient Jewish religious leaders were so strict that they believed all struggles in life were the result of sin, so much so that some believed babies born with diseases or handicaps must have sinned in the womb, which is so crazy, right? As hard as it is for us to wrap our minds around anyone believing a baby actually did something so wrong in the womb that they deserve to suffer in this life for it, that's the kind of messed up thinking seeking to avoid suffering through religion leads to. As Luke begins his book, Written to Convince People to Follow Jesus, he starts with a very unlikely story, a story which stands in contrast to the control most people are seeking through religion. Deep down, we all want control over what is uncertain and uncontrollable. We all want to avoid the pain and hurt in this world. We want it to not touch us. But when your own life gets hard, when you face deep loss, trauma, or your own failures, your heart longs to know there is something more. You long for God's message reminding you of your value in the middle of your pain. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is an example of God's acceptance of people even as they struggled. Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 7 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Think with me for a minute about how emotionally traumatic it is today for women to not be able to have children when they want to. In ancient times, it was even more devastating. Women were only valued because of their ability to have children. A woman who couldn't have children was considered cursed by God, so much so that even though divorce was supposed to be illegal for Jews, they made an exception for women who couldn't have children. In this culture, even though Zechariah and Elizabeth followed God and were accepted by him, religious people around them did not see them that way. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived with being viewed as a flawed, cursed couple, rejected by God most of their adult lives. We know they struggled with this because Elizabeth described her situation in verse 25 as disgraced among the people. Luke also tells us they were very old. They had given up. They had no hope of ever having a child, yet they remained faithful. They still followed God and tried to keep all they knew of his rules for how to live. They were accepted by God. Yet even though they had this beautiful, empowering relationship with him for most of their adult lives, they lived in disgrace and didn't get the one thing all ancient people wanted, a child. So hold up. Think about this. This story doesn't fit the formula. They did everything right. They were supposed to be rewarded. Luke goes on to tell the rest of the story. Zechariah was chosen by chance to go into one of the most holy parts of the temple and burn incense. It was a special honor. While Zechariah was there, an angel came to him and said God had heard his prayers and he and Elizabeth would have a son. Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was John the Baptist, the prophet sent to prepare Israel for their Messiah, the one the Jewish people had been hoping to see for hundreds of years. Being the parents of a prophet was a huge honor, so people often believe this is the point of the story. They see it as Zechariah and Elizabeth followed God faithfully all of their lives, and at the end, they got a supersized reward by being the parents of a prophet. People who still want to cling to the old formula of doing good stuff equals controlling God see this story fitting that formula because Zechariah and Elizabeth were the parents of a superhero of the faith. But catch this, the beauty of the story is Zechariah wasn't expecting things to work out that way. We see this when the angel spoke to Zechariah and told him he would have a child. Zechariah did not believe it was possible. It's super important to realize Zechariah was not expecting God to give him a child. He didn't jump at the angel's message and go, I knew it, I knew it, I knew God was going to come through for me. No, he basically argued with the angel and explained to the angel how it was impossible for him to have a child because they were too old. He wasn't remaining faithful because he expected a reward. He knew his relationship with God was reward enough. How freaking awesome is that? Zechariah and Elizabeth were both faithfully following God without expecting to be physically blessed in this life. Following God was their reward. They had a relationship with the creator of the universe. They were choosing to follow his path, and this decision gave meaning and purpose to their lives. Because they understood this, they were the kind of people God chose to be the parents of a great prophet. 
They were the kind of people who get to be in on the great work God wants to do in this world. They were survivors who understood that no matter what happens in this life, choosing to follow God gives meaning to our struggles. I love thinking about Zachariah and Elizabeth in relation to some of the faithful survivors I know. These faithful survivors are amazing examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. They inspire me every time I think of them. And you know what? Their lives are still hard. They still struggle with stuff. They still fall and have doubt, but their lights shine the brightest of all because they are surrounded by darkness. They have peace in their struggles because they listen to the voice of God and his message telling them how treasured they are. They walk around full of hope because they learn to drown out those other voices a little more every day. Whatever you are struggling with, I hope you quiet yourself and listen for the voice of defiant hope telling you that there is so much more to you than your current circumstances. I hope you hear the voice of God telling you how treasured you are, no matter what struggles you are dealing with. 